Woof. Guys. Woof. I I have no other words, but man, that was that was hard to watch on Saturday, folks. Welcome to the Bluminati Podcast with your host, Nathan Bond, alongside me as always, Robert Steeg, Seth Bonador, and our producer, Anthony Vito. Man, uh, you know, that was just terrible. Saturday was not fun. I think we'll get into it, but dear Lord, guys, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Well, we'll get into, you know, the nuts and bolts of it, but I mean, wait, Nate, what happened? I was, I was out of town with no signal. (laughs) I can only assume that my 56 to seven prediction came true. Close. You were four points off on the score and then seven points off on the other side. Just so I can, wow. So USF actually did it. Sure. <laughs> well, they did something. Hashtag do something. Even are we sure? Wrong. But are we sure they did something? <laughs> are we sure about that? Did uh, anybody else get like the vibe when you're watching the game? Like, oh, it, it can't get any worse. Uh, honestly, guys, it cannot get any really. <laughs> but yeah. like, it was completely okay. It was like, you know what? This is what it is this year, and. Okay, well, they went to Notre Dame and they exercised in really nice weather and got to see Touchdown Jesus a bunch of times. Exactly. I mean, what better way to, you know, start kick fall off than, you know, playing football in 64-degree weather in in the middle of the country? And getting your shit kicked in. (laughs) There's also that. (laughs) There's also that. Uh, Real quick, um, make sure you guys follow us at Stampede SPN uh, on Twitter, our Instagram account, The Daily Stampede. Check out thedailystampede.com. We are in the market for a podcast sponsor and other sponsors, if you guys feel like it. You know, we, we're really grateful for our previous sponsors. Uh, so if they ever want to, you know, jump back on board, absolutely. Uh, completely understanding the situation with COVID-19 and, and financial woes as it be. But, I mean, if there's a sponsor out there that wants to, you know, get plugged, I mean, you guys saw how often we plug there's, you know, our former sponsor stuff, so why not? You'll, you'll get it out there, I promise. We'll, we'll make sure of it. But, guys, I guess, you know, first things first, let's get – before we dig into the game, let's get into, uh, I mean, the, the breaking news of the day, honestly. Um, Notre Dame cancels their game this week against Wake Forest due to seven new – COVID positive tests Um, reading from Notre Dame. A total of 94 COVID tests were administered to Notre Dame football student athletes on Monday of those 94, there were seven positive tests. According to the university physician, those seven students are now in isolation and their close contacts have, have been and are being identified. They paused, you know, they pause football. They're not going to practice. Um, there's 13 players in isolation with 10 in quarantine. Man, uh, not the start you want here, folks. Um, we're six days, four days away from uh, FAU and the, your opponent. You're not even done with the previous week because, lo and behold, USF is using game film to contact trace the the seven new positives that played in the game and man um, that's that's terrible some poor ga that is just watching a lot of film a bad beat man that's a bad beat for for whoever is doing that um it could be it, it might even just be like a volunteer i know uh usf back in the day had a couple volunteers who just came in and cut up film for them it's a grad it's a grad assistant they pummeled it to the ground with film work. It's it's going to be brutal for them for the next. Oh God, what I mean, they may not go to sleep trying to figure out all of this stuff. Um, and there is that twenty-four hour rule. It's still lingering. Can't, you can't work. 20, you can't work twenty-four hours straight. Is that the rule? No, you're right. Uh, celebrate for twenty-four hours. <laughs> get it on to the next week. Now we're back watching the game from the previous week. And you know it was it was bound to happen, but but geez, man, this is not a great start. We're two games in, and and we're already having to contact Trace uh, with another school. 
And, you know, luckily this week, uh, the school we're playing has had no issues whatsoever with COVID testing. They haven't had uh, their game postponed last week or anything to do um, players missing time. None of that. They haven't had a pause fall practice, uh, you know, back in August. They hadn't, they hadn't had to do any of that. So we're in the clear um, in that regard. Wait, wait. No, we're not. Florida Atlantic has been a tire fire with COVID tests over the last month or so. So can't wait to get into that. Got some some news on that. Oh, man, I guess let's just get get into this this debacle. I guess you know Jeff Scott. A couple things Jeff Scott said today in his press conference. I think he it may have slipped up. That his his you know the offensive line looked really good against Notre Dame, and they're to the point where, hey man, they could be reaching herd immunity along the offensive line. So hold on, what? Excuse me. Do you mean herd mentality? No, 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 no. Herd immunity along the offensive line, folks. So we got Donovan Jennings back last week. He was a sleeper cell against Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> the the final score is actually fifty-two to seven. Steve was almost there. Yeah, I was almost almost had it. Almost had it. Just the wrong the wrong points scored, unfortunately. I just want to quickly uh, read this tweet. It's from Peter Ball at Peter underscore Ball covering um, Missouri, and it basically Eli Drinkowitz on why he announced the number of players Mizzou has out for COVID-19 reasons. And he basically said, it's a public health issue. What in what went into it was just honesty and the approach that the pandemic overrides competitive advantage. A college football coach with some sense. How about it? And, it, you know, I, I, I don't blame Jeff Scott because that's just how literally everyone else in the country is doing it right now. He cited Oklahoma as one of the reasons they're not releasing anything. And I know there are HIPAA laws, but you can still say that the amount of players that are out, Willie Taggart, I was on the conference call last week or yesterday, excuse me, uh, talking to him, always fun catching up with him. He was like, yeah, we would have had 25 guys out last week. If we, if we had to play just being straight up and honest. And you know, if you knew Willie three years ago, four years ago, he probably wouldn't have told you that hmm. there's an evolution here. All right. And it, it's just so frustrating. And, you know, it's not even just within football. It seems like the university of South Florida has taken a, I'm just going to gloss over the COVID situation um, their dashboard for COVID positive tests is just horrendous. It's just bleakly updated site. It's that it just tells you the number. It doesn't tell you demographics, what they're doing. Unlike the University of Florida, UCF, Florida State, they all have comprehensive, you know, dashboards that they can use and show. And I, I'm not sure why this isn't happening at USF. Um, I want to kind of pull up the the issues uh, with USF. Uh, I think there was an article in the Oracle. Um, if you guys want to read, uh, basically taking USF to task about this stuff. And school started uh, for, for for USF. Correct me if I'm wrong. There, Vito. August 24th. Classes started. Yes. Yes. All right. So um, I've been kind of keeping track of this and just tweeting it out uh, between September 1st and September 7th. So basically roughly a week after school started, USF reported 20 positive uh, cases from students uh, at USF Tampa. Okay. Not bad. Not bad a week after, right? Uh, September 8th to the 12th, 57 new COVID positive tests. And then there was uh, last week, September 14th to the 19th, USF reported 98 USF Tampa student COVID positive tests, uh, one USF health student, one USF St. Pete. And I looked earlier today and I don't think they had updated the website. Yeah. So we're still stuck on September 19th. So nothing for the 20th or 21st or, you know, Sunday or Monday. Um, and USF has taken the approach. We're only reporting the cases that are told to us, but again, it's not a, it's not a Jeff Scott issue. It just, it seems strange how, you know, Overall, and this is just this is just me talking. Um, how 
like I know they I know USF has Tableau from my my real job. I know they use Tableau. They can put this stuff in pretty little dashboards. So I guess that's I guess neither here nor there. But you know, it's just super interesting how the other universities have handled it compared to USF and then USF gets on the Today Show or yeah, NBC Nightline or whatever, uh touting everything that they've been doing. So interesting to say the least. Let's let's just get straight into Notre Dame. Oh dear Lord, fellas. Um fifty-two nothing. It wasn't close. Just oy they. Honest to God, that was so bad to watch. Ian Book, three rushing touchdowns. If you had that, you know, collect the collect your winnings at the at the pay window, because that that definitely was not how I thought USF was going to lose to Notre Dame. With Ian, Ian Book rushing uh, for three touchdowns. The passing game has just been anemic. Jeff Scott called them out today. They need to be better. He just said they need to be better, more explosive. They're, they need to compete more. Same with the wide receivers. It's just been less than ideal. You know, Jordan McLeod, 19-30, you know, overall for the season. 19 of 30, 132 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Noah Johnson has been sporadic, to say the least, 7 of 16. Seth, what, what's going on? What is going on with this passing game over the last or over the first two games? Well, the one of my big takeaways in week one, and it was in the column we put out on Sunday or the article or whatever, was that there was no explosiveness in the passing game in the first week against Citadel. And, you know, a lot of people, ah, maybe they're holding stuff. Yeah, but there was also nobody getting separation from Citadel defensive backs. Like, there was no receivers that were wide open. Just think back to the game. How many routes were, how many routes were there where the guy caught it and was able to run after the catch? Not very many, and probably none of the receivers. So they're not getting separation. Um, and then the quarterbacks aren't aren't great throwers. They're not um, not as of yet, and there's still stuff. I think some of it is sometimes when you get in a quarterback competition, you really get worried about making a mistake. Um, there's a throw that we're going to look at in the film room uh, coming out later this week. It's uh, early third down in the game. They draw up a wheel to the halfback, and the throw is there. It's in a little bit of a tight window, but the throw is open. The defensive back has his back turned with the receiver. I think you have a linebacker matchup on Johnny Ford, and McLeod just doesn't throw it, even because it's a little bit of a tight window. He just doesn't throw it, pulls it down, gets tackled for like a two-yard gain on third and nine. So there's some of that. I think there's some uh, hesitance to make a mistake. And then, you know, when they have clean pockets, they're just not throwing the ball well. And that could just be nerves and stuff like that. But the receivers aren't exactly getting open either. Yeah, and yeah, to, to your point, um, I, I think – what the the long for Notre the in the Notre Dame game was a thirty six yard uh, catch uh, from Latrell Williams from uh, Noah Johnson. That's the only pass over twenty yards this season, right? And what last game the the long was nineteen yards, and that was uh, to uh, sincere to sincere Brown. Brown on a back shoulder fade where the guy was draped on. Yeah, it, so I mean Noah in game two he was four of 12, 61 yards. Um, I was listening back to the, the audio of the telecast and the play-by, I think it was the play-by-play guy was, uh, you know, it was like USF's first drive and he had mentioned that Charlie Weiss Jr. had said Jordan McLeod's the, the more further along thrower than Noah Johnson. And I think we're seeing that. I think McLeod, as you mentioned, he's not trusting – that the throws are there, so we're not getting explosive plays. He's he's taking the safe, you know, dump offs for two, three yards uh, a gain, and and that, I mean that's definitely not going to do anything. You can just stack the box and you know dare your receiver, dare the receivers to beat you. And with Noah, it seems some an inaccuracies have plagued him the first couple of games. I know you know both both Jordan and Noah didn't finish last week off well, and then. You know, the Notre Dame game was just, I mean, it was a mess from the jump. Do we, can we see some separation this week against FAU? You know, could Travis Marsh, I asked Jeff Scott this, uh, you know, after the game, will could Travis Marsh 
get more reps to, you know, compete. He's shown flashes. He's got a big, strong arm. And he said, yeah, he's looked really good. And whenever Cade Fortin gets back from whatever is holding him out, he's also going to get a lot of run. We've seen through the first two games, maybe Jordan and Noah, they may not be the solution. We've got to figure it out. To Today, Jeff Scott was a little more resigned to the fact like, yeah, we're still hoping we have that quarterback than that conference opener against Cincinnati. But it seemed like, man, I don't know if we're going to have this figured out by then. We'll, we'll have the starter, but, you know, we'll pull him if it gets, you know, out of control. A lot of exceptions to the, the rule that he wanted. And, you know, Seth, I think it's well documented on this here podcast and uh, on this site. I mean, you split time as a quarterback competing with, you know, I think we can all agree someone a little bit more talented than you. You can say that, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> he's all right. I mean, he was okay. He was the Gatorade National Player of the Year, but, you know, whatever. It's all political. It's the intangibles <laughs> that matter. Exactly. Right. He was just very charismatic. That's what how, yeah. how do you fight the, the psyche of, oh, my God, I'm getting pulled again. I, if, if I'm going to be – I'm so tight right now because if I mess up, I'm going to get pulled. How, how can Jordan and Noah – like, how does that quarterback room kind of deal with that? Well, I, I eventually got to a point early in that year. So we would play like uh, – I'd go first and third quarter. He'd go second and fourth quarter. That's how we typically did it. And then I just got to a point kind of maybe like two games in. I'm like, all right, I just got to let it rip. And, you know, if – if if it's not good enough or if I can't make the plays, then I'm not going to play. But I can't I can't play like um, – I can't just like hold the ball and not make throws I know I can make. So I just – once I let it rip and then once I did that, I think we might have scored like on the first drive of every game for the rest of the year. And it was all good from there. Uh, so it's it just kind of a hurdle. You just got to be like, all right, I got to let it rip. It's just we got we to gotta go. So that – but, you know, you, you it's, oh, there's some risk there. You maybe throw a pick and – with the coaches really uh, emphasizing not beating yourself, maybe a turnover, you might think, oh, that's going to hurt me. But you're going to have to push the ball in some tight windows. Uh, that's kind of what this offense does. If you watch them playing at FAU last year, that quarterback was throwing some of these throws into tight windows. And that's the throws you have to make. So you just kind of have to go for it. It's, there's not much you can do. You just got to do it. And then um, – then hopefully, I think you're hoping that maybe you can get more uh, stuff in the run game because you're not going to be able to throw the ball, I don't think, with this team without a good run game, too. So when the run game's limited, you're going to be in trouble. Right, and, and you know, to, to segue to, to the running backs quickly, I mean, Johnny Ford has looked like a new man. He talked to the media today, uh, on Tuesday, I should say, um, for the first time since UCF, the UCF game in 2018. He was <laughs> – uh, a USF official told us last year, well, we're going to put Johnny on ice for a little bit. Just uh, due to the comments that he had after the UCF game uh, in 2018 kind of irked people the wrong way, much like some other former players um, in that 2017 season have told us that, yeah, things are not good. Things are going downhill and he, basically said as much and then of course he couldn't stay on the field last year to to suspensions and what have you but it, it was nice to see him back I, I said in the slack channel today i mean if you guys follow him on social media you know he's all over the place but from two years ago to today that dude is matured by leaps and bounds and I think we're, we're seeing the, the fruits of that labor right now. I know in the depth chart that, that was sent out this week, he's actually moved up to number two in the running back depth chart. And I think Kimmy Kelly Joyner, you know, can be dynamic. I know Darren Felix is dealing with a hamstring injury, but I mean, the, the longer Darren Felix is out, the, the more reps that Kelly Joyner and Johnny Ford would get. Um, I think he's like nine yards or something like that, shy of what he had his total last year on four fewer carries or – some some insane number um, like that. He's what rushing. He has 141 yards rushing. He leads a team 9.4 yards a carry. I mean, the dude's been explosive. The turf monster got him um, on his long run this week, but it seemed like the turf monster got a lot of people this week. Uh, I think it was Johnny who said the turf was just soft and couldn't catch their footing. 
He just went outside. He wouldn't have ran into Latrell Williams. Oh, that hurt my heart. I really thought he had that. I wanted that him for him so bad. Yeah, he was trying to cut back in and just got tangled up, unfortunately. But you know, Seth, I think those two guys. I mean, we we kind of pointed to it. I think you said it in the preseason podcast. You know, Kelly Joyner and him are going to be the the guys that kind of stir the drink on this offense. Have you seen anything to change your mind, or you know, maybe expand on? what they can do in this offense? Uh, no, I haven't seen anything change from mine. I think those are two of your more explosive guys. Um, I wonder if you start to get – I know everyone was kind of against – or not against it last year, but there was a reason he got put in the slot last year. It's because he's dynamic and you can put him on the field with another running back. So I wonder if he gets out there for a little bit as well as his touches in the backfield too. Because right now you have like Bryce Miller running jet motion. No offense to Bryce, but nobody's gonna. Look. The eyes aren't getting drawn as if Johnny Ford's running the jet motion. So I wonder if you will start to get some more stuff with both of them on the field at the same time. Um, I think that would be interesting. Even if you want to put them both in the backfield, they're both uh, very dynamic. But um, I think the offense kind of kind of goes. There's a lot of uh, it's a lot of horizontal stretches in the run game. There's not a ton of stuff downhill. There's a little bit, but a lot of it's horizontal stretches. So those guys can use their speed and try to get outside. So I think I would imagine they both have pretty good years and they're going to need to play well, I think for the offense to play well. Once if those guys can, can put together some big games, then it'll make it easier on everybody else. Yeah. And you know, the offensive line is, is also key, right? And with Jennings coming back, there was still some shuffling. Uh, Jared Hopple went to left guard. Josh Blancer went to right guard. And then, you know, Dustin Hall was still at center. And then Michael Wiggs at right right guard. How how did you feel that the offensive line, at, you know, in a vacuum understanding it's Notre Dame and they were just mm. much bigger and stronger than, you know, most everybody on the team. Uh, I know Jeff Scott said they were probably the best unit. How, you know, early returns from watching film, what would you like? What did you see from the offensive line? I didn't see anything glaringly bad. Like, I, th- I thought they played fine. Um, again, I think a lot of the stuff is to take pressure off them, too. Like, how many inside runs have you – like, can you remember? Like, any? Like, it's a lot of horizontal stuff, and the ball is getting out of the quarterback's hands pretty quick. And when the ball didn't get out of their hands pretty quick, the offensive line did a pretty good job. I think they only gave up two sacks, and Scott said he thought one was on the quarterback. So – I think they're playing pretty well, um, but that's just something you got to see as they move along. Now you are getting guys, you are getting some more guys' experience, and we'll see. That can only help you think in the long run. Um, but yeah, nothing. You know, I thought they've so far. You'd have to be pleased with them based on what you thought coming out of last season. But this this scheme is pretty offensive line friendly, um, but. You just have to have other people start making plays for it to be offensive line friendly and effective. Yep. And let's uh, kind of go to, to special teams. I think special teams was, I think, safe to say, an unmitigated disaster on Saturday. Um, Ian Deneen just, I think, probably had his worst game as a, a college football player. Uh, Trent Schneider also, um, you know, he, he the, his first punt went for, I think, like 21 yards and then had – what a block punt return for a touchdown another one where he got laid out but barely got the kickoff um just i guess karma for the citadel game it was it was really bad uh antonio greer was the emergency long snapper but he got hurt in the game so he wasn't available the backup bryce bernard wasn't able to travel so jordan mcleod got a punt in because they didn't want to send out Deneen again just got likened it to uh, when you're on the first tee, uh, your golf round, and you hook it into the woods on the right, so you get your breakfast ball, your mulligan, and then you do it again. You're like, all right, well, I guess it's just not going to be my day. It's going to be a rough one. <laughs> it's just not going to be my day today. So you try to, you know, limit limit those opportunities, and you saw what happened. I know Bryce has a, a pretty neat story. Uh, Steve, what's the story on Bryce Bernard? Yeah, so Bryce started the season about – three weeks ago like like everyone else uh except he was a he was a video guy so he's one of the video coordinators for usf's team and i, I guess once um oh god the other long snapper's name is escaping me right now andrew beardall andrew beardall went down with an acl injury 
you're left with one long snapper. And in a COVID season like this, where you know the all these you know specialist players and everyone's kind of tight quarters the entire time, you kind of don't want to be left with one long snapper. So you know, word got out to uh, to Jeff Scott that hey, one of the video guys played was a long snapper at high school. He went to Nep- or Fletcher High School up in Neptune Beach. According to Jeff Scott today, he didn't even look at film, didn't even know anything about the kid, knew who he was, got him a physical, passed it, and now he's number 50 in the backup long snapper for our team. I mean, it, it's kind of the craziness of the college football season. And I, I loved what Jeff Scott told it. He said that, uh, you know, he told the team and he was like, yeah, we got a, we got a new long snapper, a new guy to join the team, join the brotherhood today. And uh, he's up there in that video tower. So players apparently loved that and, and got a hoot and holler about it. But yeah, it, I mean, to, to go back to that disaster of a game, I mean, there's not much you can do if you're Ian Deneen in, in, in that situation. When you're mentally out of it like that, there's no coming back. Everything you go, everything you do is just under, under radar at that point. So hopefully bringing in Bryce um, as a walk-on to give him a little bit of juice as well. And then there might be another long snapper that they might have to bring in as a, as a walk-on. Uh, for a third long snapper, if if need be, um, according to the press conference today. So hopefully this won't become an issue again. And and with a dedicated special teams coach with uh, Daniel Caprado, you know, the hope is that he's able to recognize the issues, coach them back up and and get them back into the correct rhythm of things. Um, That's so important for for special teams to be in that correct rhythm. Yep, absolutely. And uh, Jeff Scott mentioned, you know, due to COVID, no spring walk-on tryouts, no fall walk-on tryouts. So they couldn't bring people in because of COVID, you know, restrictions. So they were just kind of left with two and then Beardall gets hurt. You're left with one. And we, we, I think we talked about it preseason about uh, with Jeff Scott, you know, okay. So what happens if your long snappers go down? We saw what happened against Arkansas state and our excuse me, uh, central Arkansas and man happened, happened to USF. Unfortunately it was just a starter that just had an awful day. And then USF couldn't recover because everyone was, you know, out. So, you know, did we jinx it. Did we jinx it by talking about it first week? And, <laughs> you know, it's quite possible, but you, you have to, under, you have to figure this stuff out. Right. And I, I wish the, the thing I want to talk about with special teams, you know, Deneen's going to have a bad game. I, I want to discuss the decision on fourth and five from Notre Dame's 33 to run a fake punt in the first quarter. The only thing that, that when I was looking at that, I was like, are you just trying to get the reps in? But I think we all kind of had our jaws dropping. Like, huh? It was open. Yeah, I saw your thing, and it made me feel a little better about it was there, the tight end didn't turn around. No, the quarterback. If you would have – uh, sometimes you have to be an improviser, a quarterback. You got a <laughs> you got a yes and, you know. And if he would have just kept his eyes, the guy came open late, and there was literally nobody near him. And if you look closely, we'll, we'll show it again on the film room. You can see the coaches pointing at him like, there, he's right there. And when they don't throw, they're all, uh, you know, all right, whatever. You know, but like it was open. And, you know, to why you wouldn't leave the offense on the field. I, I, if I think if they had a reliable five-yard play, they would have called it quite a few times. <laughs> thing, like, an offense, you, know, I, I, you know what I mean? It's like they're average. I think they average three yards of play for the game. So it's not like five is like, let's, let's go. We got it. You know, I mean. A uh, counterpoint to that, Seth, we didn't know because it was the first quarter. We didn't know how bad the game was going to get. They knew. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> Counter, counterpoint, they watched film. They knew. <laughs> so, I, I, I don't know. It's just mind-boggling to me, you know. You, you trot out your, your punt team. You know, and it's going to be a fake punt, except literally everyone knows it's going to be a fake punt because you're not, everyone's not dumb enough to think, okay, well, if it goes into the end zone, it's just a, a net 13 yard punt. Like, what is that? Honest to God, what does that do? So you, you already, there's no point in trying to utilize a fake punt there because we, everyone knows it's going to be a fake punt. Leave your offense out there. Okay. If it's an incomplete pass, Great, you didn't lose nine yards, right? So instead of start, you know, instead of Notre Dame starting at their own forty-two, they still start their thirty-three. So, yeah, but it was it was it was wide open. I think they anticipated the guy was going to throw it to the open guy. That's like that's the Maybe. other side. Like, is it is it weird to call it on the thirty-three? Yeah, 
Was it open? Yeah, it was. Did the, did the quarterback just not throw it? Yeah. So then it looked really stupid. Like, I don't think, and I don't think you, I don't think you can blame if they just cut the offense out of the field. I think you've been happy with it. All right, that's fine. Yeah, go for it. But it was open. You have to, it was open. It was a little strange to call it a 33, but they got exactly what they wanted. The guy just didn't throw it. They planted the seed. So now every single game from henceforth, these these poor special teams coaches have to prepare for tricky old Jeff Scott and Daniel DePrado to call a fake punts anywhere on the field. It does it not matter. Been, it could have been Mike McCarthy. That could have been Mike McCarthy. It's called him like <laughs> from their own end zone or something. I, I, I don't mean uh, those kind of. That's a. I don't even know if that's a good process, bad result kind of play, or is it like. At that point, I don't, I don't know. At that, but that's one of those you know questions where those I'm like, was that really was it worth it at that point? Like USF got, oh man, I mean, they had other opportunities to utilize that. I don't know why you use it that early because I think the, I think it was still seven nothing if if I'm not mistaken. They might have gone into the game and been like, okay, our first fourth and medium, we're calling it no matter because sometimes we'll do that. Okay, this is a fake punt if it's fourth and like four to six. And you just say, all right, our first fourth, our first fourth and six, we're not kicking a field goal, we're calling it. Like sometimes you just go in the game and you just have it in there because you don't want yourself to get scared. You, you feel good with it. It worked all week in practice. So you just go in, okay, our first fourth and six, if we're not kicking a field goal, we're gonna we're gonna call this. And the kid, you you give the players a little confidence in it because you say we're 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 calling it no matter what. First fourth and five, you know, first fourth and four to six. And so you call it and then they don't execute it and you look stupid, but I guarantee you it was wide open and worked all week in practice. So. And it was open in the game. So, If you say so, Seth. If you say so. <laughs> I'll show you tomorrow. I appreciate it. Um, I, re- I really hope that when somebody asks at the next press conference, Coach Scott just says, well, uh, just talk to uh, Coach Varnador. He said he, he, he knew what was going on. That's right. I even looked to see if they were pointing, and they were pointing at the guy. So Man, that was the that was the design. At least. If they didn't have the masks on, they may have been able to project a little more. Yeah, you know, well, that's like a hundred thousand dollar fine in the NFL. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If these coaches have that kind of yeah, have that kind of that money. Man. Some of these young guys have a staple to the back of their head. They're not. They're not messing around. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I you know my life goal is to it. One of these days, Jeff Scott or Charlie Weiss Jr. Even Glenn Spencer to name check Seth. In one of their film room and the film room breakdown. That's uh, that's that's a life goal that I'm gonna gonna make sure it happens this year. Hopefully, in a, hopefully in a good fashion. Yeah. Regardless, we're, that's when we're making shirts. Yes, <laughs> for sure. You know, quickly. There's no update on Dwayne Boyles and Antonio Greer today. Uh, Tuesday, um, Boyles missed the game. He was a game time decision. He traveled with the team. It was a game time decision and ended up not playing. Uh, Antonio Greer got hurt in the middle of the Notre Dame game, never came back. Greer spelled G-R-I-E-R, not G-R-E-I-R, like his nameplate. And also his jersey has been spelled the last two weeks. Hopefully that gets taken care of. So, you know, still waiting back. Your your top two linebackers are out. And no word on the nature of the injury, right? Like, no. No. Nothing yet. I'm gonna have to go back and watch what happened in Greer if it if it's obvious or maybe maybe a little bit more subtle uh, to find out maybe what happened there. Are there any positives to take away from this game? Any? Like, can you if you can name two, I will Venmo you a dollar. Like two true ones, not like they had fun and exercised. Johnny Johnny Ford space is still a yeah. very fast man. But Joe Williams got loose one time, made a pretty tough catch. I was going to say nobody got hurt, but we just went over that. So, uh, no turnovers. Oh, there you go. Like, that was, I mean, that was one big thing that I, I felt like this season we could kind of, kind of hark on is the fact that limiting mental mistakes, I think, is the best way to put it. And I, you know, turnovers are a little bit more mental, but not a lot of penalties for the, through the first two games of the season, and no turnovers. So you're looking at a team that's, for the most part, pretty well disciplined. I think that's kind of the biggest positive takeaway you can take from a 52 to nothing loss is the fact that, aside from the punt getting blocked and the special teams disasters there, you didn't give away free free real estate on offense. Mm-hmm. Other than that, 
my only real negative, and it's not even negative, it's just a kind of I thought the defense would be a little bit more aggressive. And but it kind of just they just packed so many bodies in. And I thought Notre Dame, I said it in the in our preview that I thought they were going to run the ball and do a lot of play action. So they're going to get in like the double tight stuff. But I mean, they really packed in even the receivers in tight. So it kind of negated some of maybe your more aggressive stuff, moving your linemen and blitzing and things like that. Um, so I anticipate them being a little more aggressive, but I think Notre Dame might have just taken them out of it just because of the big personnel groupings. And it was just kind of like, we're just going to move as like a massive bodies down the field. So, but other than that, it wasn't like, was it unexpected? No, I mean, I, I said the score was going to be 14 yeah. 10. I mean, I was, trying, I was trying to be a nice guy, and you, you went for it, and you were correct. Sad. Yeah, I mean, I'm super unfortunate, right? But we kind of expected that to be the case. Um, you know, set, or, you know, Steve, you, you had mentioned uh, mental mistakes, zero turnovers through two games, I believe, at, at this point. Um, nine penalties for 90 yards through two games. That was USF average that per game last year. So that's a good start. So yeah, we'll, we'll count it. Um, fourth down conversions have been horrendous. They're one of seven through two games, uh, seven of 27 on third down. On the flip side, opposing teams are shooting 50% from uh, third down and then they're a perfect 100% on fourth down. So yeah, you know, still something to work on. Third down was an issue the last couple of years. Uh, you know, it's wonky with Notre Dame and then you know the Citadel. You know, having those, I think they what went five of six the first six uh, yeah. last week. So kind of skews it, but I mean the numbers all average out eventually. This team's averaging five yards per play, and oh my god, do you guys want to know what USF's averaging per pass? It's got to be like it's got to be on. bad because of the negative yards. It's got to be like three yards or less. <clears throat> not as, not quite as bad. Four point two. No, that's per attempt. Per yeah, per attempt. Per catch is seven point six. That's not great. That's almost a first down. <laughs> like eight is pretty good per attempt, and over eight is really good. Half of eight, not so good. Not ideal, but you know, defensively they have not a lot of. Passing touchdown this year. Four different running backs from Notre Dame scored a touchdown, though. I don't know. They, they look pretty good to me. Like they might have worked out all the kinks. I wonder if um, how how good they are at the end of this year. And you know, we knew Wisconsin was good last year. I mean, it still it still goes to show you that you know playing these teams, I don't, you don't expect them to compete. But I mean, yeah, I don't think they're athletic enough. No, they might. They're still missing people, but they weren't like crazy athletic on the outside. You know, they they ran the ball. That offensive line is really good and probably has a few future pros on it, though. So yeah, that's going to be their bread and butter. But when they're playing like Clemson's and those guys that kind of match you up front, I wonder if they're going to be athletic enough outside to to hurt people. But I think they'll probably – Clemson may be the only game that's kind of uh, – they'll be an underdog in. They'll probably have a really good year. Yeah. All right. So burn the film except for the turnovers and penalties. And let's move on to FAU, folks. Oh, man. Week three. We're here. We've made it. FAU. We think. Coach. <laughs> we'll get into that. Uh, Coach by Willie Taggart. Talked to him the other day. Man, I miss him. I miss He's su- like, he's such a funny dude. Like, if you ever talk, like, seriously, if you guys ever get to talk to him privately, very funny guy. And he seems, he's very self-aware just about pretty much everything. Just, he, he just seemed relaxed now at FAU. I talked to him after he, he got hired at FAU and I, you know, I joked with him. You know, I, I said, I said to him, must be nice not having to go into a rebuild. And he laughed and said, oh God, yeah. Is frankly, every job he's had has been a rebuild. Western Kentucky, big rebuild. USF, huge, huge rebuild. Oregon, pretty much a rebuild. Uh, Helfrich could left the cover pretty bare. If Herbert doesn't get hurt, they don't go 75. They go like 93 maybe his first season. And then we all know the tire fire of FSU uh, over the last you know three, four years uh, after Jimbo left the – Again, 
it's nice, you know, understanding, and we'll get into this. There's a lot of people missing from this conference USA championship team, but there's still quite a bit of, of talent on the roster to, to utilize. But, you know, before you even get to the game, FAU said their COVID problems um, in the, his press conference on Monday, Willie Taggart, uh, revealed that you know up to 25 guys would have had to miss the game last week if they had played against Shore of the Southern. That game had been canceled, I think Friday, Thursday or Friday. And man, that's just that's a lot of dudes. And from what I understand, it was a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball, some starters. So it it, it would have it would have been rough for them against uh, Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. And uh, going into this week, when he talked to the media on Monday. The test they had gotten back, there were no new positives. So that's that's a, pause, that's a good start. They'll test again on Thursday. From what I've been told, you know, if need be, they'll cancel the game on Saturday morning if it gets to that. So okay. we'll see. You know, it's only it's said 220 miles between Boca and Tampa. You know, you know, logistically, it's you know, not the worst plan in the world. Uh, you know, if they do have to cancel it, um, from what I understand. Michael Kelly said on you know said on Twitter I think someone someone was like so do you guys think this game's going to happen and Michael Kelly just one words and goes yes so uh, that I think that was on Sunday night so let's see what happens you know USF is dealing with their own COVID we've got a contact trace FAU still has to figure out what's been going on they've had they had to stop camp August twentieth for six days due to uh, you know an outbreak they've been dealing with this for you know the better part of a month trying to get guys back. It's interesting. Do you have any idea the breakdown of like positive tests and then contract traced guys that I, had to sit out for contact tracing? That I do not know. Yeah. That and you know, same goes for USF. It's you know one or yeah. more. But um Tiger did say you know up to 25 guys would have had a miss, which is a a pretty significant portion. Um yeah. Yeah, and not saying that they're all scholarship players, but I mean, in theory, if they were all scholarship players, you're down to sixty guys. That's that's tough. That's tough to to deal with, and especially if it's you know heavily on one side of the ball and the other, which has been indicated to me that it was. Um, you know, and I want to I want to do some quick contact tracing of uh, of my own here, folks. Um, so we all know. Willie Tiger coached at USF. We all know Jim Levitt coached at USF. But there are other coaches on the FAU roster that have a connection to USF, and I'm going to do my best to contract taste, uh, tr- trace them to USF as best as I can. Some are – oh, yeah, that makes sense. Some are huge stretches. Bear with me. It's a little fun little exercise. So uh, if you've seen my Big Factory wedding – the dad does this with every single word, getting it back to Greek. Even kimono somehow gets it back to Greek. This is how we're going to do it. So without further ado, let me pull up the coaching staff real quick. So special, first of all, Jerron Fairman, uh, special teams tight ends coach, couldn't find a connection. So it sucks that we start with him. But here we go. Uh, Jim Levitt, duh. Uh, Clint Trickett. Almost came to USF. We'll count it. Was recruited when he uh, when he left. We got Stephen Bench instead of Clint Trickett, I believe. It was that cycle. Great trade-off. So uh, I'll take that. Raymond Woody, Bagman Woody. Shout out to him. Still kicking as an outside linebackers coach and recruiting coordinator, shockingly. Everywhere he goes. Dropping the bags, man. Lance uh, Goodry, Gidry. Now this one's an interesting case. Very, it's a very easy connection to USF, but it's a hurtful connection to USF. So Lance coached with Willie Taggart at Western Kentucky. He coached the bowl game when Willie Taggart took the USF job. Okay. That following that 2013 season, he did not come with Willie to USF. He went to McNeese State and was their defensive coordinator in 2013, 2014. 2013, 2014. Oh, yeah. Very hurtful. And it, but you know what? Full circle, it ends happily, at least for USF. Uh, Lance Gidry 
then becomes the head coach at McNeese State. They are up and down, up and down, up and down. But the one thing that is consistently going down is APR. So they hit the threshold of, oh, my God, we're going to lose bowl eligibility. We're not going to be able to go to the playoffs. They get to that mark. They fire Lance. And who do they hire? Good old Sterling Gilbert. Full circle. Very happy times. Yes, that is exactly right. So due to everything, Sterling goes to McNeese State, and then now he's at Syracuse. But due, because Lance let the APR slide so much, they, hire, they fire him, hire Sterling. Sterling stays a year. McNeese gets hit with uh, the postseason ban, and I think scholarship reduction. Sterling bolts to Syracuse. There's your connection there. And there you go. Jeff Norid, he is the offensive line coach. He played at Arkansas. He played against USF when they played Arkansas in 2002. There you go. Let's see. Kevin Patrick, coach at USF. Chris Perkins, I couldn't find one for him, so I'll have to skip. Uh, Stanford Samuel, he played at Florida State, but that's not the connection that I found. Uh, he played for the Montreal uh, Alouettes from 2009 to 2010, and he was teammates with former USF wide receiver S.J. Green. There's your connection. And Ted Bay Viper great, S.J. Green. Absolutely. Frank Diaz, wide receiver GA. Now, if you guys recall, Frank, if you remember the name Frank Diaz, if you guys watch Last Chance U, in 2017 – he was the co-offense coordinator and QB coach for Jason Brown and that ICC team. Now, if you watch the season finale of that particular season, you see USF makes that makes the final the season finale because an ICC graduate played at the middle school in Lubbock and was on the field when Quentin Flowers threw the touchdown pass to Tyree McCants for the win. There's your connection. Frank Diaz coached at ICC. The ICC had a graduate play at Texas Tech who played USF in the bowl game. USF makes the Last Chance U documentary that year. That I think that might be my more convoluted connection, but I it's still a connection. It. it is a connection. And I think that is it. I think that's all the connection I can get. David Kelly, director of play personnel, was uh, USF. Julie Reed, uh, director of football ops was at USF. Brock Wills is a, a defensive analyst. He was at USF. And I think that's it. But there we go. I've got I've got one for the guys you couldn't find one for. Perfect. Go ahead. You ready? They both coached with Raymond Woody, who hired Nathan Varnador, who was the older brother of Seth Varnador. And they both got their undergraduate degrees at USF. There it is. Oh, boom. That was good. <laughs> boom. Nathan Varnador adding the, the extra string that we needed. That's right. Shout out, Nate. Oh, man. Yeah, so that was really fun kind of going through. Look, to, to the game, Seth, we discussed it, you know, uh, pre-recording. How difficult is it? You know, we're week three. You know, FAU has game film on USF. USF has nothing of Willie Taggart at FAU. What I know Jeff Scott mentioned watching Oregon film for scheme, FAU film for personnel. How much of a disadvantage is USF at right now with uh, without the benefit of game film? Yeah, I, I think it's it's tough. Um, especially because you know Levitt was at Oregon, right, with with Taggart. He was also an analyst at FSU last year. So I think his him being a coordinator, because he's been a coordinator his most recent job, his will be easier to kind of pin down what he likes to do. I think it's going to be tougher to see what their offense likes to do because you have Taggart, who's an offensive guy. You have uh, Clint Trickett, who was there at FAU last year with Charlie Weiss Jr. So he's got his own kind of flavor. And you have their other co-offensive coordinator was the receivers coach at Texas last year. And then before that was a coordinator at Rutgers for a year. It was one of like the youngest uh, coordinators in the country. So on offense, you have no clue how they're going to combine. Is it going to be this tricket one to run stuff they did last year at FAU? Which I'm sure they will. Is Tiger going to want to put more of his influence on? Or is he going to be hands off? What's this other guy going to bring to the table? Stuff he ran at Rutgers, stuff they ran at Texas last year. 
So I think offensively, it's going to be really tough to figure out. But you can also kind of there may it may be okay because you can kind of personnel scout a little bit on offense, understand, and that's where USF does have a, a big advantage. Is they have so many coaches from that staff last year, they know these players pretty well. So you can kind of know, okay, this is what this guy does good. This is a receiver we need to watch out for. This is, you know, so, so there's stuff like that you can help. But I think it's going to be really tough getting ready for FAU's offense because it could really be a mishmash of things or it could be what Tigers done in the past. It could be all kinds of different things. I think defensively, you're going to get what you get from the same stuff they did at Oregon pretty much, uh, pretty close. And then offensively, it's kind of a crapshoot. So that will be difficult. And, you know, we mentioned, you know, how much FAU's losing this year. Um, you know, prior – let me just take a look because FAU's at Game Notes have uh, key returners uh, coming out. So, they're, they lose uh, Chris Robson, who completed 60, almost 62% of his passes, 28 TDs, six interceptions last year. He's out, he got kicked off the team for lack of a better word, this fall, they return, you know, their top rushers who, you know, Malcolm Davidson rushed for 711 yards, nine TDs. Uh, they have two other, excuse me, three other guys with at least five rushing touchdowns. Uh, BJ Emmons, Larry Mc, McCammon and Jamie James Charles, but only Malcolm Davidson had over a hundred rushing attempts. Their starting quarterback, Nick Tronti, has thrown 22 passes, 77% completion percentage, 180 yards, two TDs, and, and a pick. He was more of a runner for them, it seemed like, last year. They'd bring him in to run a little bit. Yeah, he, he ran the ball 51 times for 239 yards and two scores. Uh, that seemed to be his uh, his forte in the offense last year. Uh, you know, wide receiver-wise, you know, they, they lose some dudes. You know, Harrison Bryant. Uh, former USF wide receiver D'Angelo Antoine and, and Tavares uh, Harrison all gone, all over 30 catches. Uh, Harrison Bryant had over 1,000 yards. Antoine had a 771, and he had a huge game where I think he scored like three touchdowns. Today. It was like 10 catches, 200-something yards, and three scores in one game. Uh, they bring back two receivers. Their top receivers, John Mitchell, uh, 38 catches, 488 uh, receiving, and five scores. And then, you know, defensively, man, they lose a bunch of dudes. Miko Dotson led the – I think he led the nation in interceptions last year with nine. Or is pretty damn close. Uh, I think they've, I think they've lost, if my math's correct, 19 interceptions from last season's team and returned just three. So, you know, the playmakers on defense have, are gone. They're going to have to get replaced. I know Willie Taggart had a huge influx of, of transfer wide receivers. Uh, I think uh, – God, TJ – TJ Chase from Clemson or Duke? Clemson. Clemson. Another guy from Duke. I mean, a couple others uh, brought in to, to shore up the receiver room. It, it's it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how this offense plays out with with a new coach, new scheme, new everything, really. Um, you know, to, to that point, you know, speaking uh, just purely about USF, what does USF have to do to win this game? What – what can we take from the first two games to even say, I think USF may have a chance and what do they have to do to compete and win? Well, I think I'll throw the ball better. I mean, that's kind of the number one thing. If, if they're, if they're going to throw the ball like that for the past two games, they're going to be in trouble. So just real quick to add what you said, I just pulled up. So this is before they lost the quarterback, but they were Florida Atlantic was 109th in returning production, 120th on defense, 83rd on offense. And that quarterback just to kind of drive home how good he was. He was originally at Oklahoma. Uh, Lincoln Riley does a pretty good job picking his quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. He was at Oklahoma, uh, got dismissed for like public intoxication or something like that. But he was a four-star, seventh pro-style quarterback, I think maybe in the country. He was really talented and had a really good year last year. So that's going to be a huge loss. But I think you, offensively, you have to be able to throw the ball and that'll kind of open up your run game. And I, I'm not quite sure exactly uh, what you're going to get. Um, Levitt's been a 3-4 guy running two high coverages in the past is what I've read. And I'm going to try to find some Oregon stuff uh, for this week's preview. But 3-4 too high. Uh, so you'll need to 
keep, if they're running like a quarters where the safeties are going to kind of be flat footed and be able to come up and play run, you're going to need to be able to hit some shots over the top and loosen them up or to take advantage of their aggressiveness. So you got to get some explosiveness in the passing. I think if you do that, you'll loosen them up a little bit and then you'll be able to run the ball a little bit better, which I think is really your bread and butter. So that's going to be important. Uh, defensively, it's hard, it's hard to tell. I mean, I think you – it'll be interesting to see if you see USF come up and play a lot of man coverage, which they've talked about doing because the coaches will have a good uh, idea of what the kind of personnel is on the other side. So if you if they'll know kind of, okay, can we come – what can we do? Can we come and play man and be aggressive and take away some of these RPOs, take away some of these – quick game throws, make this quarterback throw it over the top to beat us. And then they'll let you kind of load more guys in the box and stop uh, quarterback run game and their other run game. So I'm not sure exactly what they're going to have to do, but I think you'll, I think they'll probably have a decent idea of what they need to do, especially on defense, just based on personnel. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it just got to pass the ball to, to, I think that's, that's how they win. Um, I'm luckily going to be uh, on a beach uh, drinking some some beer and, and getting severely burnt, so I'm gonna watch the replay of this game. That's so gonna be fun. I'll I'll be watching along in agony, or you know, hopefully, hope hopefully watching along, or at least following along, and not getting in too much trouble as I ruin a vacation again uh, for USF football. But we'll see. And I think without further ado, I think this is my favorite part of of the podcast so far this year prediction time it is prediction time uh last week was a, a bit rough for everyone uh, you know steve unfortunately you were just a, a just a pinch off on your prediction uh seth and Vito, you were a little too optimistic and somehow so was i so <laughs> <laughs> so there's that um hit the point total but uh you know didn't give Notre Dame enough credit and gave USF way too much credit. So we'll go. Let's start with Stieg. Prediction for this game. What happens, brother? So been doing a lot of thinking on this one. Uh, did, a, did a lot of research, and it comes down to a few things. I think the fact that USF has a few games under their belt at this point, um, a few practices. I know, I know FAU had canceled quite a bit of their practices, um, and obviously they're coming into basically the exact same situation we are, or we did a few weeks ago, just not, not a good spring practice, not much of it. Uh, and, and they come in at bare and dry to the fall. So knowing FAU does not have much there, knowing that Jeff Scott knows that this has got to be a big rebound game for them, I think that um, USF is going to win 56-7, to seven, and uh, FAU is not going to score until the fourth quarter. Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. Vito. Seth, you look like you're in pain. <laughs> uh- <laughs> No, I, want, I was trying to give you the uh, the Todd Packer nod that he gives Michael Scott when he's trying not to say uh, that's what she said. I was trying to give that to you, but I couldn't help. But I couldn't keep it together. I'm just imagining the Stanley just eye roll. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, so I, this is one of those things like, you know, with COVID, no one knows anything. Uh, this is such a – we haven't seen FAU, brand-new coaching staff. Their team is completely different this year than last year. But uh, USF's got to show that they can throw the ball. SP Plus is USF at 78, even after uh, getting shamrocked. FAU's at 95. So I'm going to go with still being optimistic for now. Uh, USF 28, FAU 24. I think they figure it out. And you know what? Uh, USF 26, FAU 24. There'll be a couple uh, extra points in there that get botched. That's my final answer. Seth. Let's go. I try to always be positive. Let's go uh, USF 20, FAU 17. 20, 17, okay. All right, my turn. Let's see. FAU's, I think, opened at five and a half, and I think it's down to like three and a half now. Uh, favorites, three and a half point favorites. Um, I think that's probably about right. I think, first of all, straight up, I don't think this game gets played. Can't candidly do not think this game gets played. Well, but, if it doesn't, don't worry. Steve and I have a plan to get everybody through this week. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, candidly, game doesn't get played. If the game gets played, uh, I've got FAU winning 28 17. 
I think I, I just don't think the offense hits. I think we're still going to be fine in quarterback uh, up until maybe next year when Timmy McLean comes in. He's the lefty, right? Yeah. He goes by Q, which is. Uh, oh, we're going to have to find you a new letter, brother. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget about Marsh. He's a hoss. <laughs> oh, I big, like fan, big fan of Travis Marsh. I he looks know. like a grown man already. I, I have a question for everybody. If we just go Cincinnati, first conference game when we go, you know what? Marsh is a starter for the rest of the year. How does that make you feel? Here for oh, I love it. Here for it. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> just why, again, why? Why not? Yeah, all four quarterbacks got in the game. Uh, or wait, no, yeah, we got in both games. Four quarterbacks got in the game uh, uh, last week. You know, I mean, Jordan Smith only just he just handed the ball off, but he got in the game. All right, uh, uh-huh. Travis Marsh was over over three, but he let got it, in the game. He let, let it rip. Let it rip. All right, why not? My and, favorite. My favorite thing that happened was I was reading through Twitter and some Levitt stand was like, I can't believe we just burned Jordan Smith's red shirt. And I was like, oh, buddy. Oh, Brother, buddy. Brothers are not the brightest toolbox. Um, I mean, it's they, dear Lord, uh, the old, we need to get the olds out of here. They're, they're, they're still using the, the uh, sepia tone Crayola box. Dude, man, they, they're on dial up still, brother. <laughs> they still read the newspaper. So there you have it. I have a question. If you gave Jeff Scott truth serum, and he was being hundred percent honest, would he say, "Let's go ahead and skip this game and just get and just go on the next week"? What do you think? For COVID reasons or otherwise? All of it. All of it together. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably want this game skipped. <laughs> you know, I think he just I wants. I mean, just get the reps. Like, I just feel like he like this is everybody's trying to make this a big deal, and he's like, I, I don't care. I'm trying to build a program. Like, get the reps in with everybody, and more. The more time they can get in the field against an opponent that's not themselves, I feel like that's kind of where he's at. It's like I don't care if we're getting shellacked. I'm going to go ahead and put in an extra quarterback to see where we can be next year rather than this year. That just seems to be my opinion, but you guys kind of get a better plug on that. I think the truth serum would be uh, you really want to play Notre Dame. <laughs> that would be a no. <laughs> That'd be a, we sure we can't get Wofford or something on the schedule. <laughs> yeah. Schedule Citadel. Is, uh, is UTEP available? <laughs> yeah. I, I looked at that game and I told my buddies who were just like, what the heck? I said, that, that, that game wasn't for that specific day. That was for the two games that they got afterwards. Yes. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. It was a win as soon as the toe touched the leather to kick <laughs> off the football. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think, he, man, I think he just wants to figure out quarterback position. I don't think, man. Well, Jordan, if they can get Cade Fortin out of the phantom zone, <laughs> that'll, I, I think that'll help. I, he, I, he may be in the medical tent still. I, they, they may have left him in the medical tent or something. Is that a Danny Phantom reference? <laughs> no, it is a, isn't that a Superman, right? Yeah, he tosses the toss like the cellophane thing on the guy, and he's like, you know, that some zone. Yep. Yeah. Zod, you guys are nerds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the man, Jordan needs to show me something this week, or uh, I've got one foot off the bandwagon. They got to house one of these. I mean, you get in the open space like that. It's let's see Can a we, nice, let's see some explosive touchdowns, not just plays. Show me you're not afraid to throw over the middle 15 from just give me a nice 15 yard dig. Show me that you're going to, you're confident enough to throw that. Show me a skinny post that isn't on the outside shoulder. Show me something. I, I, I want to see something from your brother. This is a classic Nathan Bond uh, challenge over here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure he'll listen to it. Absolutely. Jordan, don't listen to him. Let it rip. <laughs> don't be afraid. Tell me something. I that I think that's it for this week. Again, follow us on Twitter at Stampede SBN, Steve at Robert Steve Life, Seth at Seth Barnador, Vito at Anthony Vito underscore. I'm at Bulls Nathan SBN. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at the Daily Stampede. Make sure you check out the Daily Stampede.com. We'll have a, a lot of great content up for you this week. We've got the film room coming, preview. Everything. We've got it all for you uh, coming up this week. 
Um, again, if you like sponsoring this beautiful podcast, let us know. Hit us up. Uh, the email is dailystampede at gmail.com. All takers. I mean, almost anyone. I won't say anyone, but all, almost anyone. Our threshold is is pretty low on, on the standards of this podcast. If, like an, if an anti-psychotic drug would like to sponsor Steak's pick every week, <laughs> I think we could make a segment out of it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, why not? It doesn't even have to be a legal FDA, you know, regulated thing. It just be something you cooked up in your toilet. If you want your um, your your bathtub IPA to be sponsored, by golly, we'll help you out. Steve's picks brought to you by bath salts. <laughs> Maybe not your OnlyFans. We probably won't. I'll show off of that. I don't know, man. <laughs> I won't. I won't say no to OnlyFans. There's a wasp or something. Just. Not to attack me. All right. <laughs> oh man, I saw that music video for the first time the other day, and by the other day, I mean at during halftime of the USF game. That was an experience. That was yeah, a, that uh, was an experience. Hey, if Did you smoke a cigarette afterwards? Felt real bad. I'm gonna Photoshop <laughs> Seth and I's face on Megan the Stallion and Cardi B here in a little <laughs> for our film room. Sethy <laughs> V. All right. Thank you for listening to the Blue Mountain Podcast. Once again, we'll we'll talk to you next week. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.